Our own words. Our own words. Our own words. Welcome to the first episode of Our Own Words with me, Jack Henderson. In this series, I'm going to be talking to people in and around two remote rural communities in Scotland's county of South Lanarkshire, and we'll be discussing together various subjects in their own words. Along the way, we'll be taking a look at climate and environment, mental health and well-being, and asking how those issues impact specifically on these two communities. I've been out and about talking to people in their homes, their schools, their places of work, and in our first two episodes, we'll begin asking what shapes and informs these particular communities and have them tell their own stories. But first, what do we even mean by community? The word community often appears in our news feeds, our social groups, and the term itself is sometimes used to qualify certain ideas, be they social or political. We may first become aware of certain issues when they're mediated through specific types of communities, such as ethnic, gender, business, social, digital or others. So what do we mean by local community? Let's see if any of our guests can help clarify what it means to them. Community is a group of people, like Led Hill's a community. It's a, where a bunch of people are together, they live together. Well, not in the same house, obviously, but in the same village, and that village is a community. Yeah, well, a community is the, the people around me um, and, what, uh, and what takes place in the community. How we're all, like, together. So, like... If I didn't have something, we wouldn't have to go to the shop. I could just call my neighbour and they'd have it. OK, so there's perhaps a common understanding that it has something to do with the people who live around us, but that's still perhaps a little vague. From social scientists like Emile Durkheim to social philosophers like Karl Popper, the term community is a somewhat plastic term, which can be less than helpful for what we want to discuss here. So, someone whose job entails working directly with these two communities would be our local MSP, Mary McAllen. Can she maybe give us a succinct, pithy definition of what community means? Probably not one that could compete with the great philosopher. Right. Um, but for me, what does it mean? It, it means people coming together with a shared interest in looking after one another and in the area around them. I think basically yeah. that's what community means to me. And it can mean, it can be on a village or town level, constituency level, you know, it, it can grow or shrink according to mm. the issues in hand. But essentially people with a common interest in each other and the area around them. Thanks, Mary. So how might we bring that all together? In his poem, Freedom's Plough, the poet Langston Hughes puts it like this. The hand seeks other hands to help a community of hands to help. Thus the dream becomes not one man's dream alone, but a community dream. We'll touch on that idea of a community dream again when we talk about the history of Lead Hills. But first, we have to get there. And how do you get to Lead Hills? Well, nine-year-old Patrick from Lead Hills Primary School has some very precise directions. Do you think you belong to Lead Hills? Yeah. Do you? So if an alien landed here and just walked up to you and said, 
Where are you from? What would you say? I would just say Laid Hills, but I wouldn't say my address or anything. How would you know where Laid Hills is? Well, if we're in, like, Glasgow, I'd just say, down that way down the okay. road, and then either turn left or right. OK, so leave Glasgow, go down the road and turn right, and you get to Laid Hills. Yeah. <laughs> so there you have it. Laid Hills, down the road, and turn right. Let's go. That's the sound of what's known as the curfew bell in the village square of Lead Hills. It was chiefly used to signal the shift changes during the mining era of the village. Lead Hills is a village that was founded on mining, and as the name implies, that was mainly lead mining. Although that mining ceased in about 1938, the curfew bell still stands as a testament to the story of this small village's past. A small village with a big history. I'm not here to talk specifically about that history, which could fill a whole series in itself, but I am curious to know if and how it shapes and informs the identity of the community of Lead Hills today. I joined the children of Lead Hills School on a visit to the Lead Hills Miners Library, the oldest subscription library in the world. Is this your first time in the library? Uh, my second time, but your it's been like four time. years since Has I've it? been here. Okay. Do you like it? I mean, do you find it interesting? Yeah, it's quite cool with all the old books and old other books. If you were recommending this to someone else, what's the one thing that you would say, oh, you've got to go to the library and see what? All this, like, history from millions of, not millions, but like hundreds of years ago. And, like, without it, the village probably wouldn't be as well known as it was because, like, you need the history to make it fully, like, historic. So do you think history is important? Yeah. Do you think it would be a shame if the library had to close? Yeah. Why do you think, what would be the worst thing about that? Because it's a really nice place to come see the history yeah. of, like, Glad Hills. Yeah. And that history is important? Yeah. When you think of a library, is this what you imagine? Sometimes, it's not, it's like half of a museum and also half library. It is, got isn't like... it? Are you interested in the history of where yeah. you live, are you? Do you think it's important? Yeah. Why do you think it's important? Because then if you didn't have history, you would like, didn't know what's happened in the past and like, life would just be dull and you, you couldn't like have like amazing stuff like those books are like hundreds of years old. Right. And you know this library is nearly 300 years old. Yeah. When it first started. Yeah. But imagine you had your own library. What would you put in that tells people about your life here today? Um... Like, what I've done in the past, like, how I've cycled down mountains. I've gone down, like, I've been on amazing adventures with my mum, my friends and my um, grandparents. Right, so that would show people something about yeah. how your life is today. Yeah. Do you find this library interesting? Yeah. Is it what you expect to see as a library? Well, not really. It's a bit different, but it's different in a good way. And it's good that we still have it and it's not gone. 
How is it different, do you think? Well, the bookshelves, for one, are a lot bigger. All the books are different and it's just not your typical library with things like uh, a big chair and minerals and stuff and rocks. It kind of tells the story of Lead Hills, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, yeah. More than a regular library would. Do you think history is important? Yeah, obviously. Why Why do you think it's important? Well... If we don't have history, we need to know where we came from and we need to know what happened and to know what not to do. So we have these people who have made these mistakes and that means that we know not to make the same mistakes that they did. Your name's Rory? Yes. And have you been to this library before? Only once or twice. Once or twice. So do you Mm. find it interesting here? I find it very interesting. Do you? What's the most interesting thing about it for you? The books. Their ages very, 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 very interesting. Do you think history is important? Very important. Why do you think it's important? It shows how humanity has evolved from being a fish to an apex predator. So, for the children of Lead Hill School, it seems history is important. I sat down for a conversation with Alison White, who, along with being a trustee of the Miners' Library, is a long-standing resident who's known Lead Hill since she was a child. I'm not sure if she can tell us how we became apex predators, but she can perhaps tell us how Lead Hills has changed over the years. When did you first come to Lead Hills? Uh, we bought the house in um, 73 and um, we bought it as a holiday home we lived in Edinburgh and my granny died and left my mum some money and they were sort of looking for a holiday home um, sort of close enough to Edinburgh that we could come for weekends but far enough away that dad could my dad was a minister so that he could actually leave his work um, and at that point um, the church was moving from inner city Edinburgh to Wester Hills. Okay. <laughs> so Wester Hills Church was being built with all its issues already in force. Okay. And so he needed a kind of bolt hole. So you've been here nearly 50 years. Yep. How did you become a trustee of the Miners Library? Um, well, I've got a huge interest in history for okay. a start. And, you know, we've always been members since we arrived here. Um originally kind of there was sort of a membership and it just sort of was in the museum so um really it was when we moved up both my parents were committee members and i got roped in oh okay so it was a family yeah so it was just kind of again it's kind of like that's the kind of our family you know they're members of things and parts of committees so it's and there's a slight irony there is it not that i mean when the library first opened Women were not welcome, yeah. right? They were not part of that. <laughs> and it's mainly women who are now right. doing all that. Do you think history is an important part of how a community identifies itself? Oh, definitely. I think the history of a village is really important. Again, I mean, obviously I'm a teacher, so my primary sevens, our end-of-term assembly, is all about Sankar's history because I want to kind of instill in them a, a pride of where they come from and the ancientness of of their area. So if I mean if I talk here, I'd be doing exactly the same right. thing. They'd be out round the mines and out and about doing things like that. Because I think it's really important that kids understand where 
where they are and what has made, what has brought about where they are and why they should be proud of it. If the library ever had to close or we lost the library, that would be a significant loss to Lead Hills as a community. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That would be massive. Absolutely massive. Yeah. In many ways, it's a local treasure, but it has quite a significant part, really, in the whole history of Scotland. Oh, it's a worldwide treasure. You know, it's, it's the, the oldest subscription library. It's so vital as a resource. It tells the story of what miners did and read. And because it's the miners themselves who got the books, they chose the books. It's not been thrown at them from some landed gentry. It shows what they were interested in. Mm. And I think, again, as a teacher, as an educator, you want people to go in and actually see what kind of things they were reading. They weren't going home and reading a nice novel, you know, they right. were. They were reading about chemistry and physics and countries all over the world that were just sort of developing and being found. And It was you know, true self-education, absolutely. wasn't it? Yeah. And you think, I mean, the, the hours they worked and they're going home and by reading by candlelight and these kind of books that, you know, we'd all think twice about picking up and trying to work yeah. through. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? But I'm, I'm quite amazed, really, when you think about the remoteness of Lead Hills and it has the mining house with its own extraordinary history mm -hmm. with James Sterling and the ideas that he innovated there that then influenced Robert Owen. And this all comes from this village that many people 20, 30 years ago probably would have written off as a village dying away. Oh, definitely, yeah. A lack of investment. And and when we came here, there were a lot of, quite a lot of empty houses and, and sort of semi-derelict. Mm -hmm. It was quite down at heel. And that's really changed in the last 20 years, like I say, with these young families moving in and taking over and restoring many of those buildings, which is great to see. Oh, Do you think a village like this did risk just disappearing into the cracks? Oh, absolutely. I mean, really and truly, it was, as I say, when we first came up, it really was all holiday homes. Mm. And I think if, uh, you know, people weren't interested in the village and sort of seeing as a kind of a future place to retire to like our family, then... It would have gone. Mm. I mean, there'd be rows and rows of empty houses and absolutely nothing here. Clearly, history permeates every aspect of rural life in Lead Hills. But what about for children growing up here who've only known life in this remote community? What do they imagine life in a more urban environment would be like? And do they see themselves staying when they get older or perhaps leaving for somewhere else? My uncle lives in Glasgow. Does he? And do you visit him much? Sometimes, yeah. What do you think would be different about growing up in a big city like that compared to where you're growing up? I think it would be very loud a lot of the time. Very loud? Mm -hmm. Maybe the water might be a bit more unclean but clean at the same time. It, it would taste different. It would taste. Water. I think you're right. I think it would taste different. Tastes great here, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. The water. Do you think it's easier to make friends in a city or in a village like this? I would say a village because there's less people. So you can just get to know a couple of people and you can know them better instead of just finding some more friends and some more and some more. Right. Do you know lots of people where you stay? Yeah, I know quite a lot of people. 
if you lived in a big city, you wouldn't know people so well, or do you think you would, it would be the same? I think you wouldn't know as many people because there's so much more houses and buildings. I don't know if I know anybody who lives in Edinburgh or Glasgow, though I don't think I do. Imagine you lived in Glasgow or Edinburgh or Dundee. Yeah. What do you imagine would be different about living in a big city to living in a village? Well, if you're living in a village, you have more, like, open air and less greenhouse gas than you would in a city because you have all those factories and... Right. ..car fumes because there's a lot more cars in cities. It's less crowded than because, like, every side of the city is just buildings. So it's more cramped in a city, yeah. you think? Do you think it's safer in a small village? Or yeah, I think it's safer in a small village because, like, in a t for like a town or like a city, like, it's dark alleyways and. Uh -huh. Imagine someone you didn't know. Imagine they'd never lived somewhere like this before. What would you tell them about? It's a good living? community. Like, we have like a miners' library uh, uh -huh. as well. We have a miners' museum and a. There's lots of kids. There's um. There's good friendly grown-ups. If you step outside the Hopeton Arms and walk south on Main Street, look up between the trees and you'll notice a grand-looking house sitting up on the hill. It was designed by William Adam, the father of Robert Adam. The Scots Mining House, built around 1736 for one James Stirling, a Scottish mathematician and colleague of Isaac Newton. Sterling was appointed to manage the Lead Hills Mining Works, where he introduced a raft of humanitarian measures and conditions that vastly improved the miners' welfare. Those ideas would later inspire the rather more well-known utopian socialist Robert Owen of New Lanark. The important role that Sterling and the Scots Mining House played in the history of ideas would again fill a whole episode. But what does the house and its history mean to the community of Lead Hills today? Indeed, what does it mean to the current residents tasked with its upkeep? I went to talk to resident owner Charlie Clark to find out. How long have you been here, Charlie? Since 1984. Oh, quite some time. A long now. time now. Now, this house was built around about 1736? It was started like in 1733 and they carried on extending it till 1740, virtually. And it was designed by William Adam, who's the father of Robert Adam. Yes, John. William Adam at the time was finishing off Hopeton House for Linlithgow, who also owned the mines here. But there's an issue with all of that historical stuff. The written records here are really quite sparse. There are no paper designs for the house. There are some paper designs for the roof structure and for the timber. Now, Adam ran a wholesale joinery business in Edinburgh, basically, and all the timber came out of that. And that's where there is an existing receipt. OK, and this is that receipt, that's the facsimile that you've given yes. me here to look at. It was scratched on something that had been used before. There's also some written evidence of the men who worked here had also worked for Adam at Hopton, but I cannot prove Adam built the house. We know he built the sitting room because it's an exact smaller facsimile of the Duke's bedroom at Chatelaro. That's, that's the hunting lodge he built for the Duke of Hamilton at Lark Hall. 
He built it for James Sterling, who'd yes. taken over the management of the, the mines. mines. Yes. When he took over here, yes. he's kind of renowned for some of the reforms that he yes. put in um, place. For instance, when he took over at Light Hills, there was scurvy in the village because the people could not get a decent diet. So with Hopton's agreement, each mining family got enough ground to grow green vegetables and to graze a cow. And that's why in the village today, there are lots of little buyers. Mm. That's a remnant of Hopton's cows. Right. He also, I'll give you the list, he took women and children out of underground working, so children did not work underground after that. He stopped Sunday working, he started a school, he helped start the library. The library was first stocked from a bookshop in Edinburgh that was run by a Lead Hills gentleman. When Robert Owen and his father-in-law, David Dale, were about to set up New Lanark, they in fact came to Lead Hills to speak to Jim Stirling's nephew to find out what had been done here and how it worked. Marx and Engels, although they diverge from Robert Owen, yes. both acknowledge a debt to Owen. Yes. Drawing the line from Stirling to Owen, is it a stretch to say that here in this house in Lead Hills is one of a number probably, but a cradle of socialist ideology. There was a, there was a cradle of enlightened treatment of workers. Mm. Um, and what you've got, the best way to do that is to look at how the workers here were treated and look at how the workers in the adjoining village of Wanlock Head were treated. That was a Quaker company which was run in a very hard-nosed way and they treated their workers harshly. Uh, Stirling took a much more holistic view of it and it worked. This house has a significant past for Lead Hills. This house has a significant place on a global It's got a significant place on workers' emancipation, yeah. yes. You living in this house today, is there any sense in which you feel that an inheritor of that history? Yes, in many ways, just to keep it alive because it, w it would disappear. So do you feel your part of keeping that history alive is more of a burden than a joy for you? No, it's a, it, it's, if it was a burden, it wouldn't be worth doing. Right. Um, but it's the whole community in the village of Led Hills. Led Hills has been a self-help village since day one. Most of the, the line cottages were built by the miners for the miners, and that's how it's carried on. I mean, Let Us is normally a conservation area. It's been here since 1700. What date are you trying to conserve it to? Or are you trying to conserve the feeling it gives? Mm. Because if Let Us gives any feeling that's worth having, it's because there's 300 years of each generation of miners doing their own thing. And it works. From the curfew bell to the miners' library, from the Scots Mining House to the Narrow Gauge Railway, the history of Lead Hills is everywhere. But the story of a community is made up of lots of different stories, including one well-documented visit that brings us back to that library. In August of 1803, Dorothy Wordsworth, along with her brother, the poet William Wordsworth, and the poet-philosopher Samuel Taylor Coleridge, undertook a short tour of Scotland that included a stay in Lead Hills, which she enthusiastically includes in her diary. Coleridge was weary, but William and I had walked out after tea. 
we talked with one of the miners who informed us that the building, which we had supposed to be a school, was a library belonging to the village. He said they'd got a book into it a few weeks ago, which had cost £30, and that they had all sorts of books. What? Have you Shakespeare? Yes, we'll have that. And we found on further inquiry that they had a large library of long standing, that Lord Hopeton had subscribed liberally to it, and that gentlemen who came with him were in the habit of making larger or smaller donations. Each man who had the benefit of it paid a small sum monthly. I think about fourpence. The writer and playwright, Martin Travers, has transformed Wordsworth's visit not just into a ghost story, but into a play written in Scots for a new Scots-language theatre company going by the name of Braw Clan. Tonight, Martin's new play is getting a read-through here in Lead Hills to a full house at the Hopeton Arms, which is even mentioned in the play itself. He's right. I'm Mayor Perkin Petal. I'm tried after my mother doing stair, and she was tried after her mother and all, my grandmother. A village can have no sense of pride and closeness and a complete works of Shakespeare. It's no complete book, can they? <laughs> no, they cannot. Miss Dorothy Saxvins, your sleazy-eared moose. A secret rap in lead takes place entirely in lead hills. You can't get out of me along with you, indeed. The play includes many references to events and landmarks familiar to this local community. I'm curious to find out how Martin felt about the response to his play from this local audience and what he makes of the community of lead hills itself. I talked to Martin in the bar afterwards. One of the things that's that's been at the back of my mind since we started working on this project is like how do we bring this play up to the Lead Hills where it's based, and to, to actually get the chance to come and do it with the with the, the support of the Hopeton Arms has been amazing, and the audience were brilliant. I think they loved the play, um, and we really would love to bring it back when it's a full production next year. That'd be amazing. You certainly would get a sense tonight that people are still quite proud of their community. Does that come across to you? Absolutely. I mean, and the thing is, it's that we're living in a world where community is getting eroded all over, and it feels a really strong community. It feels a, a community where a real identity and connection to the land and the history. Um, and and it, as a place to visit, it's it has a magic to it. And I do. I think there's maybe a hand, and I mean, there's a handful of places in the, in in Britain that have the same sort of instant magic when you come up to it. Your company, Braw Clan, you're aiming to take your plays into communities because do you feel community is still an important thing to nurture? For us, connecting with communities is, is we wouldn't be we wouldn't be Braw Clan if we weren't coming into places that don't get theatre. I think the cities have got loads of theatre companies that are brilliant and they and people come in and see those shows, but we want to connect with it with the land. We want to connect with the people of the land and, and we want to tell stories that are that reflect either like modern plays or, or or historical plays, but that connect with the with the people in the places that those people live in. So it feels it feels really important to us to be coming to, to be coming here regularly over the next couple of years. That would be fantastic, Martin. Thanks for talking to me. I'll let you get a pint because I'm sure you're wanting one. So thanks again and all the best with Bro Clan. Thanks. Thanks very much, Jack. Cheers. Today is August the twelfth and what promises to be the hottest day of the year here in Lead Hills, with the sun blazing in a clear blue sky. I started talking to people here when there was still snow on the ground, but today's weather 
is good news, as it also happens to be the Lead Hills and Wanlock Head Gala Day. With its significant history still very much in evidence and the stories of today's residents, young and old, a community like Lead Hills continues to reinvent itself with each new generation. I'll be back next time to talk with the community of Kuta, but for now, I'm off to see this community enjoy its day in the sun, and I'll leave you outside the Hopeton Arms where the pipe band are kicking things off. with the help of South Lanarkshire Renewable Energy Fund.